Patriots has a message for liberals and the mainstream media. You can't handle the truth. So buckle up, snowflakes, because we're about to deliver the politically direct best in conservative commentary, news, and investigative reports. We're telling the truth, and we're not going to stop. Okay, liberals, back under the bridge with the rest of your fellow trolls, and oh yeah, thanks for listening to Right Side Patriots. They are special, special people on RSPRadio1.com. Welcome to Right Side Patriots on RSPRadio1.com. Craig Andreessen at the National Patriot and Diane Sori at the Patriot Factor. It's the Tuesday night edition of the show. Make no mistake about it. 27th of June. Month is almost gone. Welcome to it. Hello, Diane. Hello, Craig. And how are you? I'm good. Good. I'm good. Yeah. Getting some rain out here. It's always good. You know, a little sunshine, a little rain, a little sunshine. <laughs> it's kind of back and forth. Okay. Well, we need to tell people that uh, we're going to be on vacation starting tonight and return on July 18th. Yeah, we're taking a little extended summer break. We do this every year, so it's nothing mm-hmm. new. Um, we're, we're both heading north. Yes. Well, actually, we're both heading north and west. True. You're going a little further than I am, but... Still, we're, we're, you know, driving in parallel directions. Right. I'm going from South Carolina, I mean South Carolina, South Florida, all the way up to Indiana and probably over to Wisconsin. Yeah, and I'm going from north central Nebraska uh, up to South Dakota. All the way to South Dakota. I mean, you know, we're... You know, our house is probably, I don't know, maybe 20 miles from the South Dakota border. Okay. You know, but, but I'm going a little bit further into South Dakota, so. Okay. Going to go see some stoned presidents, among other things. Ah, okay, Mount Rushmore. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, I haven't been there since I was about eight years old. So, you know, I want okay. to see if their hair has grown or anything. They got more wrinkles. <laughs> Well, why don't we've got a little surprise for everybody tonight? Why don't you tell them about it? Well, yeah, um, this has been in the news. We've been talking about it uh, on the show for the last couple of weeks. This audio tape of President Trump. Now, this was recorded uh, at his golf club uh, in an office there at the golf club in New Jersey. Back on July, or yeah, July 21st, what, what year was it? Was it 2021? 2021. Yeah. And uh, he was in a meeting with people that were uh, helping to write uh, a biography of Mark Meadows. Mark Meadows, of course, was uh, one of Trump's uh, chief of staff. And they were discussing things in this meeting and one of the things that, that came up was uh, the fact that General Mark Milley had said that Trump wanted to bomb Iran. Okay, and 
Trump, of course, denied that he wanted to do that. But, of course, the mainstream media ran with it. Look how dangerous Trump is, right? Right. Um, and so that was the whole discussion in this tape. But it, uh, it started to leak out um, some information about the tape about two and a half weeks ago that that tape included President Trump talking about and potentially showing these people a classified document. Now, Diane, you said at the time, and I agreed, that if true, this would be a very tough road for Trump to beat because that seems to be about the only real indictable thing in the 37-count indictment. Well, there are two. There are two indictable things. The, the tape itself, and this kind of goes along with the tape. It's almost like a two-four. The fact that he spoke about classified information to people that did not have security clearance. Right. That Those things are the crux, really, of this whole indictment nonsense. Right. Now, with that in mind, earlier today, Diane got her hands on the actual audio tape. She yes. got sent a copy of the audio. So she contacted me immediately, played it down the line for me. I recorded it. So in case it goes poof, we, we have copies of it. And we thought we should play that tape on tonight's show. Yes. So this tape takes about a minute and a half. And uh, so just give it a listen. Now, I will tell you, it's a little hard to make out in some places, but in other places, it's, it's very clear. Uh, there's You can hear a lot of paper shuffling and paper rustling, and there's several people and and you know talking at times over one another. But take a listen to it. And uh, and then we'll we'll talk about it here. Here we go. They had sick people. That was your cue, you know. It's you. That's well, it started right at the like when Millie's talking about, oh, you were going to try to get. No, they were trying to do that before you even were sworn in. That's right. Trying yeah. to overthrow your election. Well, with Millie, uh, let me see that. I'll show you an example. He said that I wanted to attack Iran. Isn't it amazing how the people out there just came just right there? This was him. They presented me this, this is off the record, but they presented me this. This was him. This was the Defense Department and him. Wow. We looked at something. This was him. This wasn't done by me. This was him. All sorts of stuff. Pages long. Wait a minute. Let's see. Yeah. I just found, isn't that amazing? This totally wins my case now. Mm-hmm. Except it is very highly confidential. There's a secret in Look at this. You're back. And Hillary would press that out all the time. By the way, is that a cut? Yeah. I was just saying, because we were talking about it. And he said, he wanted to attack Iran and what? Ooh, he said, yes. This was done by the military. Give it to me. Uh, I think we can probably get it. Well, we'll have to see. Yeah, I'll try to figure out. Yeah. This person, I can have details. Yeah. Uh, no, I can't. You know, but this, yeah. Yeah. I'm happy I'm Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's so cool. I mean, it's like I'm looking here and I... And you probably almost didn't believe me, but now you believe me. No, I believe it's incredible, right? Yeah, it brings my prison goes in place. All right, so there's the tape. That's the audio in question. Um, now, there's, there's, like I said, there's parts of it where it's hard to make out who's saying what and what's being said. But you can hear clearly enough plenty of that tape. And 
you know, the the defense for Donald Trump, they're going to have their hands or their uh, work cut out for them on this thing. I think they've got their hands full with this one. I think, too, because not so much to me what's on the tape, because, you know, everybody basically knows we've had plans to go against Iran. Iran has had plans to go against us. I don't think it's that per se. I think it's the fact that he gave and showed and talked about it to an uncleared, security cleared person. Every president upon entering office knows they are told over and over, you are never to speak about anything that is classified with non-classified individuals. Trump has admitted he did not declassify that document. And here it is, as you can hear, he's talking to this woman, he's showing her the thing, saying things about Millie and and whatever. That is very serious, but is it serious enough, the nature of the document, to find him guilty? I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's it's almost as clear as mud what's going to happen. Okay, I mean, it, it, it because this whole thing is so nutso, who knows what's going to happen. Already we have conflicting statements, okay? And this thing hasn't even seen the inside of a courtroom yet. Right. Okay, we've got the DOJ and uh, this Jack Smith character saying that they've got witnesses that say Trump showed them that document. Mm-hmm. Okay, Conflicting with that is Trump's statement that he never showed them that document. He says, I had a lot of papers, a lot of newspaper clippings, a lot of magazine stuff, a lot of other papers, and I've shown them lots of different things, but I never had that document. Now, well, could that's he- a lie. Well, no, we don't know that. Okay? We can't say that that's a lie because... We don't know exactly what those people are going to testify to in the No, but the document in question is the one that's on the tape. The thing about Iran and a strike on Iran and the conversation with Millie and that Millie gave it to him. That is the document that is in question. You're right. That is the document in question. What we don't know is what he showed them. Now, can he talk about the document without showing them the document? Or is that also a crime? Did he actually show them a document? He says he didn't. Uh, Jack Smith. I'm just saying we got conflicting statements. On the tape, he is showing the woman the document. Okay. You're, you're, I, I, you know, I, I really don't want to get into a legal argument on this, but you're you're taking a leap of faith. It's an audio tape. We can't see what he is showing her. Uh, my I'm guess is he's going. My guess is he's going to claim were, one thing. My guess is he's going to claim one thing. She's going to claim another. Okay, Smith is going to claim one thing. Trump's going to claim another. You know, and so this is part of of what's going to take place in court, and. All of this begins on August 14th, and that's the preliminary hearing in which right. 
in which motions will be filed left and right and right and left and up and down. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be a flurry of of motions that are made. My guess is Trump's team is going to try and get this thrown out. Well, I am going to totally disagree with you on this because you hear him on the tape saying this is the document. She obviously saw the document. Can we prove that that is the exact document? I'd say 90%. There is, you know, always a little bit of doubt. This tape is very damning. This woman is very damning. However, because of the nature of the document, it was about attacks on Iran. Come on, common sense tells you we've been in that for years. Is it was that really a threat to our national security? This woman seeing yeah. that particular document and hearing him discuss it, I don't think so. I I get the feeling that Iran doesn't like us very much and we don't like them very much. No kidding. I mean, I, I've had that nagging feeling for decades. <laughs> But, well, you we've know. done, uh, remember also, all the student protests in Iran where they tried to overthrow right. throw the Mullers. We've done nothing, nothing. to help Iran. We, we didn't back them up. We didn't stand nope. with them. We didn't even support them verbally. Nothing. No. You know, and yeah, I, you know, that and that's a good question. Is talking about something that's pretty much general knowledge wrong? I don't know. Technically, with a person who doesn't have clearance, yes, it's wrong. But again, was it done with malice? Did it breach national security? I don't think so. Well, and here's something else to consider. That tape, that tape where they're talking about that stuff, we just played it, is one minute and 30 seconds long. Right. Well, now, no, no, I'm not sure that that wasn't just a snippet of the well, tape. But, but how much <clears throat> in a minute and 30 seconds, if let's say he actually had the document and, and showed her the document, how much can she glean from that document in a minute and a half while they're having a back and forth conversation? It, 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 don't, That's don't an even argument go, to be made, Don't too. even go there. Don't even go there because a lot of people can read very fast. They process information very fast. I'm a speed reader. I can read extremely fast, complicated scientific journals and things like that. So don't don't even go there because we don't know anything about who this woman is. But I'm just saying, while they're having a conversation, we know the document in question was many pages long. They're having this rapid-fire, back-and-forth conversation. She's talking. He's talking. I mean, these are arguments that are going to be presented. So, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you, you may not want me to go there, but I guarantee you the Trump legal team will. Oh, of course they're going to go. Of well, course they're going to go that's there. That's my point. But the bottom yeah. line is he spoke about classified information to a person who was not did not have security clearance, but again, it was not done with malice, and I don't believe that right. breached any national security issues. 
it depends on how good Trump's lawyers are as opposed to the prosecution's right. attorneys. And that's that's what I said. You know, this is all going to come down to motions being filed and and uh, everything. But like I said, the, Trump's attorney team has got their hands full with this. This, this is going to be a big part of it. Yeah. You know, because... If you take this out of the 37 indictments, there's really nothing but BS and hot air left. Well, you know, there's other small things that they're going to try to make, you know, a lot out of, you know, uh, President Trump. You had a year and a half to get rid of these documents. You didn't do it. I mean, they're going to come out. And pull things out of the air. Well, they're going to pull things out of somewhere. They are laser focused (laughs) on taking him down. Yeah, they're going to pull things out of somewhere. I'm not sure it's thin air, but they're going to pull things out of somewhere. And we've got to see how good Trump's attorneys are. The big mistake I think he's making here, the attorneys that worked with the whole investigation are no longer working for him. Now, many people switch lawyers in the middle of allegations and trials and everything like that. But in this case, I think those two men should have stayed on the team because they worked the whole indictment process. To not have them on the team, I think, is a great disservice to President Trump. Um, It was... It was a mutual letting go. They didn't part in animosity or anything. Trump wanted different attorneys. They didn't want to be on this case. So right then and there, you've got a little bit of, I don't know, something isn't right there. Let me ask you an odd question. We have to see how it plays out. Let me ask you an odd question regarding that, and then we got to move on to a couple other things here. Do you think those attorneys that left might be called by one side or the other as witnesses? Yes. Do you think Trump's team will call them as witnesses? I think both will call them. I think that could get really interesting. It could also be very bad for Trump. I hope it doesn't happen. It could be bad. It could be good. But it's going to be interesting. (laughs) I guarantee you that. The only thing Trump has in his favor right now is that the judge was appointed by him. It's being done in Florida. And uh, yeah, I'm surprised they didn't demand, the other side didn't demand a change of venue. That's going to be one of the motions they file in August. I'll bet you anything. Right. So there's, there's a lot that's going to go on here. Oh, yeah. But we have to remember at the same time that this is going on, the Georgia thing is going to be filed, and I believe another thing is going to be filed. Right. The, Jan- the January 6th deal. Right. Oh, yeah. It's going to be it's going to be a flurry. It's a good thing we're going on vacation now because we couldn't go when all the major things happen. <laughs> no, we're going to be strapped to our seats when all that comes down. Yes. Well, being that this ran late, Craig, I want to do DeSantis's border plan. Yeah, Ron DeSantis, that, that uh, governor from the little-known state of Florida that nobody's ever heard of, 
but everybody wants to move to. Right. He has a plan for the border. And uh, he let loose a couple of days ago that he was going to put this plan out there. And, and true to his word, he did. And, uh, Diane, this plan is pretty bold and pretty solid. <clears throat> Excuse me, pretty solid. The best part of this plan, and this is something that no one, not Trump, not any other candidate, has brought up. Ron DeSantis said on day one, the military will be at the border, shutting the border, starting the building of the wall, and they will not be pulled out until that wall is built. They will be assisting in border patrol day one. That is key. They will continue until that wall is built. Nobody has said that. Well, and he also said that he would use the military uh, to stop the cartels. Right. That's, that's and, huge. Yes. Now, now, be honest about this, Diane. Counting on you to be honest. Did you happen to mention that to Ron DeSantis at any point? Because you and I have talked about that part of the plan, that it should be part of the plan for months. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> is it does he listen to this show i really don't know I because mean, uh, i think I've, you- met, I've met him a number of times when i was on the broward republican executive committee and i probably um it's no secret i will vote for president trump if he gets the nomination that'll be my third time voting for him however i prefer to see ron DeSantis get the nomination because I truly believe it's time to turn the reins of power over to the next generation. It's nothing against President Trump, but I think we need to start fresh. He's got a lot of baggage. Um, but there, a lot of their policies are very similar, but DeSantis is taking on issues that other candidates are not taking on, the woke issue the schools, the, the vouchers, the, uh, a whole bunch of, a whole range of different, different things. This man, having met him a few times, he is all business. And I think that's what this country needs. But again, I will vote for President Trump if he gets the nomination. But he's also going to do some other things that are very important with this. Um, he's going to uphold the Article One authority to defend each state, in this particular case, Texas, against invasion. Right. And that's huge. That's that, huge. That's he huge. will also allow ICE enforcement and removal operations officers to do their jobs and focus on illegal alien entries you know, um, where under Biden's border crisis, he could care less if they have criminal records. But he's um, actually inviting people with criminal records. Biden is. I mean, it's it's just, it's so upended and upside down, it's ridiculous. Another thing DeSantis says he's going to do is reinstitute the stay in Mexico deal. So if you're yes. coming here claiming asylum you've got to stay in mexico until your case is heard right 
He's also going to close the Flores loophole that incentivizes uh, child trafficking. And he's going um, to take away the tax remittances from illegals, the exemptions, all of that stuff. Um, Wait a minute. Didn't you suggest removing all those incentives and putting that money into places where it could do some good? I absolutely did. I swear to God, that man is listening to this show. (laughs) We could have written this border policy, you and I. I know, I know. He's ending catch and release. If you cross illegally, you will be detained until your hearing date. In other words, you're not going to be sent to, you know, get lost within the American population. You're staying in detention until your hearing date. That's right. You get locked up where you get three hots and a cot, and you can enjoy the sights, sounds, and aromas of a detention cell until your hearing date. Right. And here's something that no other candidate, including Trump, has mentioned. He's going to increase Border Patrol pay to boost recruitment and ensure that the Border Patrol has the necessary staffing to stop crossings. And that is also in addition to his sending the military to help the National Guard. No one has said that. I have no idea what Border Patrol agents get paid now, but I guarantee you it's not enough. I guarantee it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this is just, well, here's another thing. He's going to cease funding to the non-governmental organizations, the NGOs, and international organizations engaged in facilitating illegal alien processing, human smuggling, and encouraging mass migration on behalf of the Biden administration while seeking to reprogram that money for ICE operations. You know who's going to pitch a fit about that? I'll tell you. I'll tell you one organization. Uh, no, I'll tell you one organization that's going to pitch a fit about that. Sure. The Catholic Church. Um. They do a lot of that stuff down there on the border, and you know the, these people, these illegal aliens that are coming across, they're taking advantage of that, and they know that's that those organizations. Uh, are going to be there and and give them all sorts of stuff. And if we're not funding anything that falls into that category, that's going to piss off the Catholic Church. But as far as I'm concerned, they should not be down there doing what they're doing. First of all, I think the Catholic Church will have enough sense. You know, Ron DeSantis is a Roman Catholic. I think they will have enough sense if he gets the nomination to cease and desist that operation. I I would not bring the church into this discourse. Yeah, I hope you're right. I hope they do cease and desist, but, you know, they want to do the humanitarian thing. And unfortunately, in this case, the humanitarian thing is aiding and abetting the enemy. Yeah. No, it is. Remember, most of those coming from, uh, you know, those countries, they are Catholics. Um, And, you know, they do see it as a way to increase the flock, whatever. 
Um, but I think the Catholic Church would put this country first, especially if DeSantis became the nominee. That's just my guess. I hope so. I hope so, but I'm not holding my breath. Okay, so we got about a minute left in this segment. I just want to bring up a quick thing that I read today that I found very interesting. It turns out that the only living former president not descended from slaveholders. Okay? Oh, yeah, I saw the that. The only living former president not descended from slaveholders is Donald Trump. Right. That's How strange is family, that? That's because his family came here after the slave days. Well, but I mean, you know, you, you think about all the ex-presidents, right? We yeah. got uh, George W. Bush. We've got Billy Boy Clinton. We've got Jimmy Carter still hanging on by a thread. Mm-hmm. Barack Hussein Obama. Yeah. Descended from slaveholders. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I I mean, that's just, you know, an interesting tidbit, a little side note. Yeah, but, I mean, we just had a minute I left, and so I thought I'd throw that in. Credence. I well, don't think there's any credence in anything. I don't think Barack Obama should get reparations. I'll just put it that way. Descended from I slaveholders. Can of, I can think of a few things Obama should get. I can't do. <laughs> but with that, with we're going to take a bottom suit. of the Yeah, with that we're going to take a bottom of the hour break here. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can think of a few things for that guy. Um we've got a lot more to come. Diane, you're taking it after the break with the anointing of George of Saint Jordan Neely. And a half an hour from now, I'm talking about 2024, a Brook in the making. So we've got plenty to cover tonight. Stay with us, folks. There's more on Right Side Patriots after that. You're listening to Right Side Patriots Radio, the best in conservative commentary, news, and talk, where we do away with the politically correct nonsense and give you the politically direct truth. This is the home of Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern with Craig Andreessen and Diane Sori. We're working to make this country great again from the right and leaving puddles of melted snowflakes on the left. Thanks for listening to Right Side Patriots, your best bet on the Internet. You're listening to RSPRadio1.com. Hi guys, Diane Sorry from The Patriot Factor on thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com, where I found a home base seven years ago after becoming one of Facebook's long-time Facebook felons, or so I've been told by the Facebook gods. On my blog, you will find not only my articles, but our Right Side Patriots investigative reports, as well as stories and links to and from well-known writers and bloggers, plus what I call almost daily memes, my snarky take on news of the day. And for more great takes on the issues of the day, check out the National Patriot at thenationalpatriot.com, where you can read Craig's insight into all the current news happenings. 
and join us both on Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. EST at rspradio1.com. Welcome back to Right Side Patriots on rspradio1.com. Craig Andreessen at the National Patriot, Diane Sori at the Patriot Factor. And if you miss any part of tonight's show, go to rspradio1.com tomorrow morning, click the podcast button, and take your pick. Yes. This show will be right at the top of the list, just in case you're wondering. Mm-hmm. All right, so a lot of people have heard the name Jordan Neely, um, and this story has been all over the news for all the wrong reasons for weeks and weeks now. And, um, you know, it, I I kind of figured you, Diane, would, were going to take a shot at this because this is a giant injustice. I mean, this really is. Big time. So you wrote mm-hmm. an op-ed called The Anointing of St. Jordan Neely. Okay, and let's start with this quote. The three main threats that he repeated over and over was, quote, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to go to jail for life, and I'm willing to die. I was scared for myself, but I looked around. I saw women and children. He was yelling in their faces, saying these threats, end quote. That was Daniel Perry, the former Marine charged in Jordan Neely's May 1st chokehold death. He's been described by some as but a gentle giant, as well as being a Michael Jackson impersonator. But the truth is that Jordan Neely was a drug-addicted, seriously mentally ill individual and career criminal who had been arrested before and let go for harassing and threatening folks on the subway. Jordan Neely was also homeless, living on the streets. And yet his family did not a thing to get him help nor take him into their home. Guess it was okay for them to fear him and keep their distance, but not for others to do so. And yet who upon his death made out like he was an integral part of their lives. Simply, it appears he was not. Jordan nearly had been seriously mentally ill for a long time, yet he still was freely wandering New York streets lost in the shuffle of bureaucratic paperwork and liberal spewed rhetoric that damns the locking up of the insane, Michael Jackson impersonator Jordan Healy, in times past when justice was colorblind, would not have been on the streets, for he would have been institutionalized for his being not only a danger to himself, but to innocent others as well. But that was before bought and paid for liberal DAs, DAs like the infamous George Soros-funded New York DA, Alvin Bragg, were able to strong-arm the courts into making heroes out of villains and the victims the ones being charged. And this is exactly what happened to Daniel Perry, a former U.S. Marine who at first faced actual murder charges in regards to Jordan Neely's death. But by the time the actual indictment was handed down, Perry faced the charge of second-degree manslaughter. Why so? Because the public outcry was overwhelming in Perry's favor and against the out-of-control, mentally ill, drugged-out, psychotic individual who took 
it took three men plus Penny to subdue and bring to the ground. A gentle giant Neely surely was not, for he threatened verbally and physically Penny and the other folks riding the Manhattan F train. Quote, justifiable homicide by self-defense, end quote, is what Penny rightfully called his actions taken. For in no way, and this is key, was this premeditated anything like race baiters continue to claim, for neither Perry nor Neely knew each other or had ever met before. And Craig, here I want to say, I have the video embedded right here of the whole takedown and the three men having to subdue this guy. And um, what you have to do is click the, it's a, blank thing with a warning from YouTube, but if you click watch on YouTube, it will come up. Yeah, the 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 circumstances surrounding the outrage over what happened on that subway station has sadly become all too predictable. Um, we've seen it over and over and over again. And it, it doesn't take a genius to figure this out. And at the same point in time, it doesn't take a genius, obviously, to feign outrage. Why is that? Exactly. Well, a key fact regarding premeditation deliberately being ignored for the circumstances and witness statements should have put an end to these accusations. Sadly, in today's world, it seems that any black-white confrontation is, for some, hatefully driven by race, by skin color alone. And here enters fist-pumping black activists and their media supporters to make sure that skin color not only enters but dominates the public discourse. Facts, truths, and witness testimonies matter not to folks like New York County DA Alvin Bragg for what seemed to be Bragg's defining moment when sending this case to the grand jury seemed to solely be based upon the color of Penny's skin. After all, Bragg rarely indicts black folks for crimes committed. To folks like Bragg, Jordan Neely was yet another saint-like young black man killed by what he deemed to be yet another racist white man. And this is no matter the fact that there was upon investigation no indication that Penny was a racist nor that he was in any way tied to white supremacy groups. But in today's world, black-on-white crime is being overlooked, while white-on-black crime, the crime not really being an applicable word in this case, is not. In fact, some believe the indictment is but a form of reparations owed. And it's thanks to DAs like Alvin Bragg who either ignore crimes committed by black offenders or simply allows them to walk free, coupled with the NYPD being forced into an unwanted position where they are at times perceived to be reverse racist in their own right, which we know they are not. And the winners in this case currently are both the media who was helping to push forward racist allegations as they are a ratings bonanza, plus those black supremacy groups like BLM, groups who thrive on both hate and publicity and see this case as being just another example of whitey killing what they deem to be an innocent young black man. 
So seems to be the mindset of D.A. Brown, for even when multiple witnesses, both black and white, came forward to back up Perry's words, even when cell phone video showed proof positive of Perry's justified statement, Bragg wanted to charge Perry with murder, no matter that what was really in play was a law-abiding citizen lawfully committing a true act of self-defense. But Bragg has a history of such actions, actions defending black perps while throwing the proverbial book at non-black victims. One case that immediately comes to my mind is when, not that long ago, a Hispanic bodega owner justifiably killed an armed black robber in the process of trying to rob his store and possibly even kill him. And Craig, just like with Daniel Penny, Bragg's office initially charged the victim with second-degree murder before the charges were finally dropped. That was an insane case. And again, that right. one was on video, too. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, I mean, what what is this Bragg thinking? Or maybe he's just not thinking. But, you know, you, you've got Penny, who is a Marine, right? Um, right? And, I, you know, Marines don't get mad. I'm going to say it. He was a former Marine. There's, I know there's no such thing as a former Marine. Um. But you know what I mean. And so Penny has got a, a history, and it's a good history. Okay? Right. So what's the historical background on this Jordan Neely character? Okay. Now, with the witnesses that came forward, even with the tapes proving what Penny did was indeed justifiable, even with the court of public opinion for the most part on Penny's side, Alvin Bragg went to the grand jury in an effort to get an indictment, which he unfortunately did. Coercion on his part, perhaps. A tainted jury pool, perhaps. Things we will never know. But what we do know is that the 30-year-old Jordan Neely was previously arrested 42 times and let go between 2013 and 2021, including for a similar subway offense, four times for assault, plus numerous times in relation to transit fraud and criminal trespass. In fact, at the time of his death, there was an active warrant out for Jordan Neely's arrest pertaining to an assault charge dating back to 2021 when he punched a 67-year-old woman, a stranger, in the face as she was exiting a subway station. And while bleeding heart liberals were and still are quick to come to Neely's defense and blame all that he did on his currently being both homeless and mentally ill, the real one who should shoulder the blame is Alvin Bragg himself, along with his soft on crime policies that let many career criminals back onto New York City streets without so much as a slap on the wrist. In fact, Bragg and crew have allowed a hundred of New York City's worst repeat offenders, including a number having 100 plus arrests, back onto the streets. Simply, in New York City, which now seen crime numbers starting to rise once again, Alvin Bragg's DA office truly has a revolving door policy where crimes committed by blacks are, for the most part, being overlooked 
while crimes committed by whites against blacks sees the proverbial book being thrown at them. Case in point is Daniel Perry. And this from the man who, when first assuming office, released a memo detailing how his new charging, bail plea, and sentencing policies will make the criminal justice system more fair, more fair only for those who commit crimes, not for those who are the victims of crimes, no matter the level of the crime committed, nor the color of one's skin. In fact, Bragg's own words sum it up best, quote, We will be tough when we need to be, but we will not be seeking to destroy lives through unnecessary incarceration, end quote, were Bragg's very words concerning arrests that usually, in the past, led to taking a dangerous element off the street. But Craig, it now allows them to remain in business, if you will, including dangerous sorts, selling drugs, and those resisting arrests. You know, when you look at the overall situation in New York, and New York's not the only place this is happening, you pretty much look at any blue city in any blue state, and you can see this this same scenario playing out on a daily and nightly basis. Right. You know, the the end, you know... You've got you got three steps in the judicial process. You got the person that commits a crime, you got the judicial system, and then you've got the the prison system, right? Right. If the the one in the middle isn't going to do their job, why should anybody else? I don't know. Well, you know, you've got to understand this is a man who thinks incarceration is not the solution to New York's crime problem. The man who thinks dangerously mentally individuals do not belong on Rikers Island and will instead defer prosecution to local community-based organizations that deal with mental health issues. And, unfortunately, that's where most of the mentally ill can easily slip through the bureaucratic cracks. Plus, the sad reality is, why even bother to send police officers out on calls? Calls where their own lives are put in danger. Calls that the DA's office will not prosecute unless the perp is white and the victim is black. Calls where most time the reality is just the opposite. Such is the Daniel Perry case. Simply, Daniel Perry is a hero. There is no other way to say it, for if he had not been on that subway that fateful day, many could and probably would have died, including children, died at the hands of a mentally ill career criminal who, thanks to a DA like Alvin Bragg, was allowed to skirt the justice system. Daniel Penny should never have been indicted to begin with, but should have been awarded a medal for his helping to keep New York streets safe and its inhabitants safe as well. After all, the NYPD's hands have been tied behind their backs by leftist mayors and DAs like Alvin Bragg for quite some time now. Basically, Daniel Perry did what law enforcement in New York City is either unable to do or specifically told not to do, as in stop certain crimes being committed, especially when on first glance it appears to be a white on black crime, when in reality most times it is anything but. 
And so now as Jordan Neely is being hailed by bleeding heart liberals and black race baiters as the media canonized successor, successor to the late George Floyd, we wait for Daniel Penny's July 17th trial to commence, a trial where he faces up to 15 years in prison if convicted. But all I can say is this nonsense must stop, for the color of one's skin can no longer be the decider of right from wrong, nor guilt from innocence. For if this is allowed to continue on, a true race war could well be in the making. Case closed. You know, if if you were a cop in New York City, what would you do? I mean, if you know the people you are arresting at 3 o'clock in the afternoon are going to be cut loose by Alvin Bragg at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, what would, I, I mean, why would you be out there on patrol? What would you do if you were uh, wearing the uniform in New York City today? I don't know. Uh, I'd, I'd be afraid because they don't have the justice system covering their backs anymore. No, and it doesn't seem to matter what you arrest somebody for. Now, I can understand if, you know, if you're all hell-bent for leather and you arrest somebody for jaywalking, I can understand that they'd be out back out on the street jaywalking in an hour. Right. Okay, I, I get that. But you, you got a guy like this Jordan Neely creep who has been arrested over a hundred times, has mm-hmm. warrants out for his arrest. 42 times. Neely was 42 yeah, times. Yeah, Neely 42. Got got warrants. He's been released every time. You know, he's got a, had an active warrant out for his arrest at the time of the incident. You know, he he punched out a 67-year-old woman in, in the, on the subway platform. Right. Okay. If for no reason. A, for no reason. It was as she was leaving the station, right? Yeah. If you're a cop and you saw this guy and recognized him because he had a warrant out for him, why would you even bother to arrest him? I don't know. He's going to be back out in an hour. It's going right. to take, as a cop, it's going to take you longer to file the paperwork on the arrest than it will for him to get turned loose. It's a very sad situation that is going on, is all I can say. Yeah, Daniel New Penny York did nothing wrong. New York is a mess. Yeah, New York is a mess. Yeah, but like and I said, it's, it's not the only blue city in a blue state. No, it's happening across the country. When you have DAs like Bragg, especially Soros-funded Mm-hmm. you're going to run into this they are trying to you know push on Obama's fundamental transformation of America and that includes taking down our justice system which includes the police it's crazy yes it is I mean you know there and you say it in, in the op-ed which by the way folks you can find at Diane's blog thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com or at rspradio1.com, the anointing of St. Jordan Neely, you say it clearly in the op-ed that, you know, this is so wrong on so many levels. And right. the, the system is 
working in favor of the criminals and against the victims. Yes. And it's it's happening all across the country. And people just don't get it. Keep voting Democratic. Keep voting party line Democrats straight down the line. This will continue. There's there there's nothing else that can be said. This is going to keep continuing. Well, and it's unfortunate, but we have a lot of people in the black community. Let's say you're black, you live in an urban area in a blue city in a blue state. Okay, you could be in New York, you could be in Chicago, you could be in Detroit. Um, Seattle, Portland, Los Angeles, San Francisco, you get the idea. If you're living in one of those cities and you think crime is bad, ask yourself, why is crime as bad as it is? And if you vote for Democrats, there's your answer to that question. Absolutely. Absolutely. But what gets me more about this is these blacks that commit these crimes and most of America's black population are good, decent people who just want what we want. They're hardworking, they're family-oriented, and yet a vocal minority has taken over their voice until their voice starts speaking out against criminals like um, Neely and others, George Floyd, until those people, the good, decent black people, the majority, start speaking out, the minority is going to make it bad for them as well. That's that's my point exactly. I mean, if you live in one of these cities and you think, man, crime is out of control, it's not safe to go outside, and you can't ride the subway, and you can't go shopping, and you, you know, you can't, your kids can't play in the yard anymore, you know, uh, they they can't go down to the playground and shoot hoops anymore, you know, if 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 you live in one of those areas where that stuff's going on like it is in new york and san francisco and chicago ask yourself why is it happening and who am i electing who am i voting for and you'll find a direct corollary every time Mm -hmm. these liberals get elected in those cities this happens right and it's not going to stop I'm serious. It's not going to stop until the majority of black Americans tell these people, not only cut your crap, but shut up. You don't speak for us. Right. Right. It's it's going to take a quantum shift, you know, and yeah. I can understand, you know, a lot of people are scared. They're, they're scared they're to speak out against them. this. They're yeah. afraid of them just like we are. Right. You know, and I I get that. But unless you start taking your own streets back by speaking out, you're never going to get your streets back. No, you're not. You know, I mean, you got to drown out the voices that are making trouble. Exactly. Just the way it is. Mm Mm-hmm. 
you know, and it's gonna get worse. I mean, it's gonna get worse. Daniel Penny is a good good man. Um, the videos that were shot by other people uh, on that train car that showed Jordan Neely issuing these threats and being belligerent, being violent. That should be all it, all it takes to get this case thrown out. But this mm-hmm. is New York City we're talking about. Right. That's you know? the problem. I mean, That's it's, the exact problem. It's crazy. It is crazy. Now, yeah. I'm going to ask you the rhetorical question. If Neely is acquitted, mm-hmm. does he have a case to reach out and sue Alvin Bragg? I would think he might. Uh, I, I know probably a civil case. Um, but what I think is going to happen if he's acquitted, and I think this is where the Soros-funded Braggs will pull magic out of his hat, there'll be riots. Mm-hmm. And for that reason alone, there is a chance that he could be found guilty. The, the judge can make the sentence as low as you know they want. But you've got to balance the fear that's running through New York now of riots and the mindset, do we sacrifice an innocent man to protect a career criminal because he's black and we're going to have riots and looting and this and that? I I really can't guess this case at this point. Well, and let me just, in the couple minutes we have left, let me throw something else into that mix. If he gets acquitted, if there are riots, and there will be if he's acquitted, I think we, I think we can all agree on that. Yes. Nothing will happen to those who riot. No. Which reinforces the we're all in favor of the criminal and against the victim's mentality. It's not just that. This man, 42 arrests, severely mentally ill, psychotic, homeless, a heavy drug user. What did we lose? Uh, apparently, uh, a mama's boy, uh, a wonderful family member, uh, yeah. a high school graduate, because they've been showing his picture with his cap and gown, you know, just like they yeah. did for Michael Brown. Right. Down, down there in Ferguson. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, we, we lost, as you call him, St. Jordan Neely. That's why I said he's the new one. He's carrying on um, the other one's torch. Dor- George Floyd's torch. George there. Floyd's torch. There's just no yeah. doubt about it. Folks, the go to die. and the lefts are doing it. Yes. Go to Diane's blog, thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com or rspradio1.com. Either place, you can get the link to Diane's article, read through it, and share it everywhere. Everywhere. Well, here's one thing, Craig. Let me just throw this in really fast. If you look at that video, you will see it took three people, three big men, to take down this little, slight, innocent boy. There can only be run 
reason for that. He was so hyped up on drugs that his strength was equal, if not more so, than three grown men, including a Marine. Yeah. Think about that, folks. Yeah. Yikes. All right. So it's top of the hour. We got to take a break, get a station ID. And when we come back, 2024, a Donnybrook in the making. Stay with us. There's more Right Side Patriots after this. Hi, guys. Diane Sorry from The Patriot Factor on thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com, where I found a home base seven years ago after becoming one of Facebook's longtime Facebook felons, or so I've been told by the Facebook gods. On my blog, you will find not only my articles, but our Right Side Patriots investigative reports, as well as stories and links to and from well-known writers and bloggers, plus what I call almost daily memes, my snarky take on news of the day. And for more great takes on the issues of the day, check out The National Patriot at thenationalpatriot.com, where you can read Craig's insight into all the current news happenings. And join us both on Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. EST at rspradio1.com. You're listening to Right Side Patriots Radio, the best in conservative commentary, news, and talk where we do away with the politically correct nonsense and give you the politically direct truth. This is the home of Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern with Craig Andreessen and Diane Sori. We're working to make this country great again from the right and leaving puddles of melted snowflakes on the left. Thanks for listening to Right Side Patriots, your best bet on the Internet. You're listening to RSPRadio1.com. Welcome back to Right Side Patriots on RSPRadio1.com. Craig Andreessen at the National Patriot and Diane Sorry at the Patriot Factor. If you miss any part of this show, go to rspradio1.com tomorrow morning. Hit the podcast button. This one will be at the top of the list. All right. So, you know, we've obviously been talking a lot about the upcoming election next year. Um, There's no uh, lack of suspense. Let's put it that way. Uh, surrounding what's what's coming up next year uh, in, in the election, not only in the uh, general election, but also for the primaries, of course, which happened earlier. Um, so I was looking at all this, and I got to thinking about it, and I thought, you know what? There's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that most people may not be aware of, and. You know, we're focused on the prize. Everybody's focused on the prize, and that's good to a point. But you got to be aware of kind of the backstage wheelings and dealings so that as things start to unfold over the next several months, maybe you won't be as surprised as you would have been had you not, you know, read through this commentary. 
2024 a Donnybrook in the making. The 2024 presidential election is shaping up to be the wildest, most confusing election in our history, and I believe that we'll begin seeing twists and turns over the next several months, the likes of which nobody could have imagined. I believe that by the end of this summer, the campaign landscape will look quite different than it does today, and quite possibly on both sides of the aisle. To understand all that is about to happen and to fully be prepared for the Donnybrook to come, we need to stand back and look at the bigger picture. Yes, we have key players on both sides of the political aisle, and those key players, Trump on the right and Biden on the left, are both facing demons, some of their own making, others not. But to think either will emerge from their troubles unscathed is just plain short-sighted. First, let's examine the left side of the aisle where we find Joe Biden, the current frontrunner, desperately trying to find a way to campaign for 2024 from the basement of the White House. The problem is that as a 2020 candidate, he could hide in the basement bunker all day, every day, and only speak in front of crowds of a dozen or less due to COVID restrictions. While COVID restrictions weren't necessary and could easily have been ignored, they did provide needed cover for Joe because even his handlers knew back then that he should not be allowed out in public because he was a loose blathering cannon who would say dumb things. It doesn't work that way now because he occupies the Oval Office and as One in his position must do, he has to show up from time to time to make public speeches. Diane, if his handlers were scared in 2020, they have got to be terrified now because each and every time Joe speaks in public, he makes gaffes that cannot be covered up, cannot be explained, and cannot be unheard. Well, that's very true, and I love the snippets and the videos you put in of a number of those gaffes because they go from bad to worse to, oh, my God, somebody shut him up. Oh, I mean, sometimes the guy is speaking gibberish. Sometimes he's repeating provable lies. Um, You know, like like this thing about Africa. How many times over the past couple of weeks has he gone to a podium and said, Very soon, Africa will have 1 billion people in their population. Well, Joe, Africa's population hit 1 billion back in 2009, and right now it's almost 1.4 billion. (laughs) I mean, good Lord. Sometimes he just wanders off into a mental la-la land. You put the guy on a stage and he falls down, he gets lost, he can't find his way off of the stage, or he ends the speech in Connecticut with... God save the queen, man. The fact that Biden's cheese has completely slipped off his cracker and the whole world knows it to the point that many world leaders will not even take his calls anymore is one thing. Another thing is that nearly 50% of Democrats don't want him to run again because his policies have been a total failure, not only on the world stage, but here at home. And people are getting hurt financially because of those policies. Perhaps the biggest demon for Joe Biden is that the walls are closing in on him with regard to his business dealings with Hunter Biden, 
foreign countries and the bribery situation rearing its head from back when Joe was the VP. For years, Joe has claimed he had no knowledge of Hunter's business dealings and that there was no evidence that anything Hunter did was wrong. Well, that ship sailed a long time ago. There is plenty of evidence, thanks to Hunter's laptop, that proves otherwise. Couple that evidence with witnesses willing to come forward and testify under oath and official visitor logs from the White House and the Vice President's residence back then, and it's absurdly clear that Joe was in the thick of it all along. Now, evidence is emerging showing that Joe took a $5 million bribe from a Verisma executive in return for policy favors, and that executive has audio tapes to prove it. Not only that, but there are tapes of then-Vice President Biden talking to then-Ukraine President Poroshenko, in which Biden is assuring Poroshenko that the cover-up regarding the bribes is solid and that the FBI would not be a problem even if Trump were to win in 2016. Diane, if you want to actually hear portions of those tapes, just click the link I have in the National Patriot to Dan Bongino's Twitter feed, and you can hear Joe talking to Poroshenko. Well, what's interesting about that is the amount of bank accounts that he's had and also to shell companies not too much is being mentioned about the shell companies it's sort of getting lost in the bank shuffle yeah imagine that you know the liberal mainstream media doesn't want to talk about joe's problems right the big guy had at least 12 different bank accounts tied to more than 20 shell llc companies all set up to launder ill-gotten gains for himself and his family that he allegedly sold out his country to a ukrainian foreign national who was in fact a russian operative seems at the very least like an impeachable offense likely prosecutable and could well be considered treasonous The smaller picture might suggest that the Senate would never convict Biden in an impeachment trial, but the bigger picture might just tell a different story. Where is the DNC in all of this? Why are they so silent? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because they're looking for a way out of the Biden problem. While the DNC is fully behind the prosecution of Donald Trump in the classified records kangaroo case, such a conviction would take place uh, or would place Joe Biden even worse classified document mess in the spotlight. At least as president, Trump had the constitutional right and ability to declassify any and all documents he wanted. But as a senator or as VP, Biden did not have that ability. And yet Biden took classified documents for decades. By now, even though the DNC remains silent regarding all of Joe's problems, they know he's not fit to be their 2024 nominee. And it's my guess they're looking for a way to clear the road for somebody else. Letting Joe be impeached by the House and convicted by the Senate would get Joe out of the way 
And even though that would leave cackling Kamala Harris as the de facto Obama puppet, she would only be there for a short time while the DNC enshrines a new candidate. Diane, who do you think that new candidate might be? Well, I kind of think it's going to be Hillary Clinton, and there's a reason why. I think, you know, she's still very, very revered by Democrats from the hierarchy all the way down. And she believes, as do they, that Trump stole the 2016 election from her. Okay. Payback in a way, you know, it would be a rematch of payback. Hey, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I think... The new candidate they're looking at is California's governor, Gavin Newsom. Hillary, in my mind, is a has-been, and she's got plenty of her own baggage regarding classified documents on her private bathroom server that she bleach-bitted out of existence. The hard drives she smashed with hammers and the tens of thousands of emails she deleted even after they were subpoenaed. On the other hand, Gavin Newsom, is already being prepped for a run. He did that extensive interview with Hannity a couple of weeks back. He's been attacking Ron DeSantis, and he's been engaged in trips and speaking to and in key states recently. Yes, his record in California is atrocious. People are fleeing his state in droves. Crime there is out of control, and taxes are the highest in the nation. But Those policy failures are exactly the policies the DNC wants to foist upon the rest of the country. Don't be one bit surprised if by this August, or possibly September, articles of impeachment, I mean real articles of impeachment against Joe Biden, are introduced, and the DNC tells Biden to resign, face the 25th Amendment removal, or face impeachment conviction in the Senate, after which cackling Kamala will pardon the entire Biden crime family, all except Hunter's daughter, whose mother is a stripper because the Bidens don't even claim her as one of their own. And Diane, that leaves us with the right side of the aisle, and we're all aware of what's going on there with the continuing avalanche of indictments against their frontrunner, Donald Trump. Now, to be clear, those are persecutions, not prosecutions. And while I believe Trump may well beat the rap, or raps, as it were, there are other things that need to be considered. Yes. Well, we can sum up one of those with a name. It's called Ron DeSantis. Mm-hmm. And we can sum up the other one with a group of voters, I'll let you name them, Craig, a group of voters that Trump is losing every time he opens his mouth and says something silly. Now, Trump would admit that he's losing those voters, and those voters are the independents, but polls show that he is. Okay, Trump is losing right. ground with them, uh, and without carrying the independent vote, no Republican can win. Now, second, there's that Ron DeSantis fellow, the governor of Florida, and that's a key battleground state. DeSantis is pulling ahead of Trump in Florida, which is why DeSantis is such a frequent Trump target, because Trump knows full well he can't win the White House without winning Florida. 
As for the nomination, while Trump maintains a lead in most other key states, I believe that as the indictments continue to stack up, his support may ease off, making the road to the nomination bumpy at best. Now, I, I want to add something in that just came out yesterday, so it didn't make it into this commentary. But right now, in key battleground states, Ron DeSantis is trouncing Joe Biden. Yes. Trouncing and, him. Uh, go ahead. No. Trump can't claim that. No. And the newest polls still show Trump losing to Biden and DeSantis winning. Yeah, that's that's huge. But what about the RNC? We talked about the DNC. Where does the RNC stand on a choice for the nomination? Will they eventually back Trump, even with all the baggage? Should Trump beat the rap or raps? And what happens if he actually gets convicted of something? Will they back Trump then, especially if support from independents evaporates? Only Trump voters don't really care what the RNC does because to them it's Trump or nothing, which might be enough to get him the nomination, but it's not nearly enough to carry him to the White House for a second term. Like the RNC or not, they know that Trump's coattails are pretty damn short, and they know they can't count on down-ticket candidates for either the House or the Senate wanting to ride those coattails. That puts the razor-thin margin in the House in a deep trouble, and it leaves the Senate in the hands of liberals. All of this leaves the Republican Party, not just the RNC, but the Republican voters, between a rock and a hard spot. Let's say for the sake of argument that Trump beats all the raps and wins the nomination and somehow manages to win the White House race next November. If we lose the House and liberals maintain control of the Senate, Trump will be impeached by the House and convicted by the Senate. That scenario would leave Trump's VP, most likely Carrie Lake, to become the president pretty damn fast, and frankly, I don't think she's ready for prime time. If Trump fails to garner the nomination, only Trump voters will most likely write him in next November as revenge, not only for what happened in 2020, but also because he didn't win the nomination in 2024, thus splitting the Republican Party vote and Diane allowing the election of whoever the liberals run. I believe Gavin Newsom, you think it might be Hillary, with a most likely majority in both the House and the Senate going to the left. Well, you know, another reason that I think Gavin Newsom is late, that he needed to come in already, is because Robert Kennedy Jr. is really gaining momentum. And he's a very interesting candidate, at least to me, for one reason. While he's a liberal Democrat, who I would never vote for, he did side against the Democrats about the jab and the boosters. He right. sided with the Republicans on that. Now, that can pull away some independence from Trump even more. That's possible. Now, I'll, I'll get into that in discussion here in just a couple of minutes. Because I've got some thoughts on RFK Jr. too. 
But at this point, I just can't see Trump throwing his support behind DeSantis should DeSantis win the nomination. And let's face the facts here. On the right side of the aisle, despite the crowded 2024 field of wannabes, it really is a two-man race. Trump will not step away before the primaries, regardless of the outcomes of the cases against him. And again, I believe those to be kangaroo cases and persecutions rather than prosecutions. And if he doesn't support DeSantis and convince his only Trump supporters to vote for DeSantis, should DeSantis garner the nomination, this nation and our position on the world stage will be damaged beyond repair. Throwing RNC support behind a nominee named Trump will no doubt lose the down-ticket House and Senate, thus leaving a President Trump to become an impeached and removed president, and supporting a nominee named DeSantis will lose the White House because of the only Trump voting bloc, which steadfastly refuses to look at the bigger picture. As Democrats always do, They'll vote in lockstep for whoever their party's nominee turns out to be. But Republicans have never mastered that strategy and are once again set to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. The stage is set for Adonibrook, not only for the primaries on both sides of the aisle, but for the general election as well. And nobody should be surprised if neither Biden nor Trump end up as the nominees. A DeSantis versus Newsom showdown is, I believe, in the offing, and the only thing that stands between a Republican victory and possible majorities on both sides of Capitol Hill are the only Trump voters. Now, I'll vote for whoever wins the Republican nomination. Only Trump voters, that leaves the ball in your court. Are you seeing the big picture yet? You, you, you ask a very, you know, in a way, rhetorical question because for the only Trumpers, they have blinders on. Oh there boy. is no other candidate. Yeah, that's, that's my point exactly, you know. Yes. Um, but they need to stand back and look at the bigger picture. And they're and not going to do it. They're not going to do it, you know. I mean, it's it's a doomsday scenario. And I, and I hate to say it, but it, it is. If they don't do it, and let's say DeSantis does get the nomination, if they write in Trump, they will be to blame for our country going down and for no Republican probably getting into the White House for a generation or more to come. Yeah, but they'll deflect that and say it's our fault, those of us who voted for the nominee that wasn't Trump, because we didn't write in Trump, too. Yeah. Well, I, can, I can see that coming. I will tell you one thing, Craig. I will vote for Trump if he gets the nomination, but I will right. not write him in. Exactly. Exactly. A write-in is a losing losing proposition. You may as well just go ahead and cast your vote for Gavin Newsom at that point. Exactly. You know? Or Hillary. <laughs> well, okay, or, or Hillary. Now, you brought up JFK, and I want to throw my two cents worth in on that. Sure. You know, JFK Jr. is an interesting character. He tends to be a little bit more like JFK. Yes. 
you know, that typical uh, JFK Democrat, Kennedy Democrat, they used to call him. But he's also got some weird liberal uh, agenda points, too. The problem is, for, for RFK Jr., the problem is the DNC will not back him because he's too moderate for them. He won't push. Right the same kind of crap they want pushed. Newsom will. Newsom will do whatever Obama tells him to do. RFK Jr. won't. And they definitely want an Obama puppet in the White House. They will not get behind RFK Jr. So, you know, while he's polling in the 20s right now, I don't see him ever getting much higher uh, in the polling. Some of the things he says, I agree with. Most of what he says, I don't. But he is an interesting character to throw into the mix, but I think he's a placeholder. And I don't think Newsom is getting in too late. I think he's playing this just right. Or I should say Obama is playing this just right by holding him out as long as possible because the later Gavin Newsom gets in and then gets all the support, the less time people like Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump have to attack Gavin Newsom's policies. The only problem is with Newsom, all you have to do is the opposition has to keep saying the words homeless, drug addictors, drug addicts, illegals, this and that, show pictures of San Francisco streets, California streets. California is a disaster. Uh, It's a garbage dump. And his whole plan is to make the rest of the country like California. Gavin Newsom will never carry a major swing state. He might I, carry his own. He might carry his own because most of the the thinking people have already left California. There's very few of them left. <laughs> that's that's true. You know, that's um, that is very true. But he here's- would be he would be a guarantee win. For the Republicans, I think I I I tend to think so. But as you always say, there is the specter of voter fraud, right? Always, uh, you know, that you can't you can't dismiss that. And right. the the simple fact is, yes, and like I said in the commentary, yes, those policies are atrocious. They're they're destroying California, and people are fleeing in droves. But those are the exact policies the DNC wants to foist on every part of this nation. But the, the, what the, the DNC rest- will what the DNC will do is they will refer to all those homeless people, all those drug addicts, all those mentally ill people as the poor victims of conservative ideas. And we're the only party, the left side of the aisle, we're the only party that that stands and empathizes with the victims. Yeah, but look at the victims. Most of them are drug addicts. Most of them have some kind of records. Most of them have mental issues. Most of them have their hands out. Gimme, 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 you owe me. I don't have to work. You owe me. What's your point? talking about dredges of society. Yeah, but what's your point? What's your my point, point I mean, is, the, 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 if the, you stop helping them, no, you wanted to know my point. Okay, go my ahead. point is, if you stop helping them, eventually they're going to have to get off their butts and start doing for themselves. They're not going to. They're not going to do that. You know, the the liberals will never 
let those victims slip away. Liberalism, liberalism needs victims to survive. And where they can't find real victims, they'll manufacture some new ones. Okay, sure. and, and all these people, all these dregs of society you're talking about, those are the new victims. They made them. They manufactured them. They're, they're holding them in that quote-unquote victimhood. They're not going to let them get out of that. Those people don't want to get out of it, you know. But then you know what? Then you know what? The red states will prosper. The blue states will go down. There'll be nothing but riots and lootings and burnings and crimes. And you know what? We in the red states will sit back and say, ha ha, we told you so. Okay, so riots and lootings and crimes and death and destruction. You know, another way to put that is an average Tuesday in a blue city. Right, exactly. (laughs) I mean, what's the difference between what we're seeing now? I mean, exactly. uh, You know, I mean, it's just just Tuesday afternoon. Um, You know, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Folks, the uh, title on this commentary is 2024, a Donnybrook in the making. Grab the link at my blog, thenationalpatriot.com. Or go to rspradio1.com. Either place, you can get the link, and I hope you share it everywhere. Hang on to it, too, because, you know, we're, we're going to see what happens. And I think we're going to start seeing some stuff before the end of this summer. They don't, the, the DNC, they know Joe Biden ain't the right guy, and they know they can't have Kamala Harris. Right. Even they're not that stupid. <laughs> yeah. So... I think by August, maybe September, we're going to see a shift on the left side, and we'll find uh, we're looking at a different candidate. I agree. I, agree I say I say Gavin. Diane says Hillary. We'll see who's right. Right. All right. So, Diane, we're out of time for the show. Right, and we'll see you guys around uh, July eighteenth uh, or so. Summer vacation. Yay! <laughs> yeah. With that, Diane, we gotta go. Okay, nighty night, folks. Folks, you have yourselves a great rest of the week, the next week, and the week after that. We'll catch up with you again on July 18th. Bye bye. <laughs>